I am extremely honored to be one of the people who gets to sit here in front of you all and share with you the word of God. Um, and if you have looked in your bulletins or you read the chapter in Core 52 that corresponds to what I'm going to be talking about today, you will see that my topic is love. Or, as Tim Humphrey says every time we talk about it, love. <laughs> now, uh, I know what some of you may be thinking. Whose idea was it to let the single college intern guy teach us about love? And I'm here to tell you, I see your point, but I am not here to teach you about that kind of love. Um, if you want some help with that, I would highly recommend speaking with the busters, because they know what they're talking about in that department. But see, in our culture, love and has been adapted to cover a multitude of feelings. I can say that I love my mom. She is an incredible lady that I adore. And then in the very next sentence, I can say, I love Taco Bell. It is an incredible restaurant that I adore. <laughs> now, obviously, especially since my mom is watching, I do not leave, I do not mean love in those two sentences in the same way. But the word has been twisted to mean whatever is most convenient for us in the moment. Some of you may already know this. Um, but it's always good to have a refresher. There are four words in the Greek for love. Uh, the first is philea, which refers to a friendship kind of love. The second is storge, which is a familial love, so like the love I would use when talking about my mom. There's eros, which describes a sexual desire or lust, and then agape. The word that's used in many of the scriptures that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning and Mark Moore writes in Core 52 that this word is the love that causes people to sacrifice their lives for others. It is the love offered freely, regardless of the recipient's value, merit, or ability to repay. And by using these words, the Greeks were able to more accurately uh, express the kind of love that they were trying to uh, convey to people. But as for us, the, the dis discrepancy needs to be clearly made. And I think we can all agree that love is a good thing. I mean, in 1 John 4, 8, it literally says that God is love. And something similar to this came up in a podcast that I was listening to a couple weeks ago. It's hosted by a couple of Ozark professors. But they're talking about that there are things in the Bible that God says are good. And because God says these things are good, these things are very powerful. One of them even calls these things cultural plutonium. Because in the wrong hands, these things that God called good, such as love, can be twisted and used to do just as much harm as good. So truly, what is love? Well, God is love. But what does this mean for us? I want to answer this with three more questions this morning that we'll work through together. What is love's method? What is love's extent? And what is love's result? To answer the first question, what is love's method, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. So as you're turning there, uh, I want to take a little bit of, about the context surrounding this particular verse, even chapter 13 as a whole. And this chapter is often referred to as the love chapter, and for good reason. 
um, it talks about the permanence and the power of love. And what's significant to note about this chapter is how it's sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14, in which Paul is writing about the different gifts of the church and about how people should just be in church. Chapter 12 ends with Paul explaining the different gifts that the members of the church possess, giving the illustration that we are all members of Christ's body with different functions, all working together. And then chapter 14, Paul is telling the church of Corinth how they should behave in the church, making sure that they're doing the things that they're doing for the right reasons. But here, in the middle of those two chapters, Paul takes time to emphasize love saying in the first verse of this chapter that he can even be speaking in the tongues of men and angels, but if he doesn't have love, then it's meaningless. Showing us that what we're doing in church, if we don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And then Paul goes on to describe the method of this love as he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, which reads, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Reading 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. You're probably thinking of the last wedding that you went to. Um, and I'm not saying that that is a wrong usage of this verse. No, I'm not saying that at all. But if we limit this verse to be just about marriages, we're kind of missing the point. Paul is writing this text to a people who were diverse and divisive, and he's calling them to love each other as God loves us with an agape love, a love that involves sacrifice. So when we think of coming to love someone, whether this be in a romantic setting or in uh, cultivating a friendship, one of the building blocks is getting to know them. You ask them about their family, about their hobbies, about their interests, in order to gain knowledge about who they are. But the thing about this is it takes time. It takes time to do that. We have to sacrifice our time and sometimes even exercise our patience when getting to know somebody. But you cannot love someone without first knowing them. Michael and I talked about this point a little bit, and he gave me an example that I really like. He said that when people have children, the kids don't really know that much about their parents. They don't know their parents' past. They don't know what their parents do even often. But... They find security and love in knowing that they are fully known by their parents. This can be directly applied to our relationship with God. We may not, we, we cannot know everything about God, but he knows everything about us. And to be fully known is to be fully loved. Now, getting back to 1 Corinthians, a commentary that I read over this section explains verses 4 through 7 like this. Verses 4 through 7 clearly portray love as selfless, seeking the good of the other first and foremost. Love is what God in Christ has shown and done for others in their helpless plight and hapless estate as sinners. 
In love, we take God's side, sharing his outlook and implementing his designs. We, and we treat our neighbors as we know God has treated us. One of the lines that really sticks out to me in this description is how when we love, we are taking God's side, sharing his outlook. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I took a Tuesday tour at Ozark. And if you're a high school student in here or watching right now, I would highly recommend you take a Tuesday tour at Ozark. There's a little shameless Ozark plug for you. But whenever you're on a Tuesday tour, you get to uh, sit in on a class. And the class that I chose was Foundations for Biblical Justice. And honestly, I didn't have a reason to choose this class other than I thought that it just sounded cool. <laughs> but little did I know, the subject matter of the day was very, very heavy. We talked about human trafficking that day, and my heart was broken. How could these people be buying other humans and making them do unspeakable things? It, these people were just evil. But much to my shock, at the end of this class, the professor said something like this. Now, I'm going to give you a prayer to say, but it's quite scary. And I would recommend you pray a lot about this before you pray this prayer. The prayer is this. Lord, help me to see these people as you see them. This prayer is asking God to show us how to love these people who are trafficking these men and women and children and love them as God loves them. And there's only one way for us to love as God loves and that is sacrifice. I have to sacrifice my own feelings, my own pride, my own comfort in order to love how God loves. When we see how God loves sacrificially, we can love others out of that understanding. What is love's method? Sacrifice. As the key points of this chapter express, sacrificial love is what we do, not what we feel. And this originated with God. Now, obviously, making sacrifices for the sake of others is not easy for us to do. Otherwise, we would all be doing it and everything would be really good. And because of this difficulty, we need to learn and know the extent of God's love in order for us to imitate it. So, as we move on to our next question, what is love's extent? We'll be looking at one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, Romans 8, 38 through 39. A few verses prior to this, Paul is asking uh, the question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These are obstacles that may be put in our way that cause us to have fear and anxiety that we're going to fall out of love, fall out of God's love. But Mark Moore says that these next verses are some of the most heartening passages ever written. Because they show us that God's love isn't just something that he does, but it's who he is. Because God is love, and God is eternal and never changing, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Let's read this scripture and just really feel the weight of what Paul is saying here. Romans 8, 38 and 39 reads, For I am sure... That neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now just to keep track of what Paul is explaining to us here, he's giving us a list of extremes. And I think that it's really uh, important for us to focus on these extremes in order for us to fully gain the sentiment of what Paul is saying here. The first of these extremes is the extremes of existence, death and life. Christ has conquered death, so in death, we are still within the reach of God's love when we spend eternity with him. And here, in life, although this is not our home, God's love and presence is with us. He then moves to the extremes of created spiritual armies, angels and demons. Angels would not, and demons cannot, separate us from God's love. Then he moves to the extremes in time, the present and the future. Nothing that we know now, such as our uh, current experiences or the things that we are going through, the struggles, nor the things in the future that we do not know, those future struggles can separate us from God's love. Then Paul lists spiritual enemies using the overarching name powers. This could perhaps be uh, Satan and his demons or possibly even human governments that Paul is talking about. Those cannot separate us from God's love. Then he gives the extremes in space, height, and depth. A cultural background reference that I used for this verse said that Paul used these words to encompass the entirety of space from heaven to Hades. And I love thinking about this one in the terms of how sometimes whenever we talk to little kids, we have them open their arms like this and say, I love you this much. And I like thinking this is God saying, I love you this much <laughs> from heaven to Hades. And finally, the last one, nothing in creation. Absolutely nothing in God's creation can stand between us and the love of the Father. So now that we flesh that out a little bit, I want to uh, read the verse again and take these things that we just talked about and think about them as we read. So Romans 8, 38 again says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a hymn called The Love of God, which we are actually going to be singing after this, that very poetically portrays the sentiment of these verses. The last verse of the hymn reads, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The immensity of God's love for us is beyond our comprehension. If I had all the words and all the time in the world to tell you how much God loves you, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would fall short every time. When I read these verses in Romans 8, I also think of a story that I read a few weeks ago. Um, it's about a man who is dealing with temptation um, from his past, his 
he's just being haunted by this and he's being constantly tempted. And he said that um, when he's doing this, he gave a very encouraging and impactful uh, piece of our identity and God's love for us. He said, every time the devil would whisper in my ear that I was not good enough to follow Jesus, I would point back to my baptism and remind the devil that Jesus had married me. I wear the wedding ring of the King of Kings. If Jesus is willing to call me his spouse, then who are you to question me? When we sin against him, when we're being tempted and tried, he is there, full of love and grace, waiting for us to come home because nothing can separate us from God's love. So, what is the extent of God's love? It's infinite. By acknowledging the sheer abundance of God's love for us, we can love others out of the overflow. What does this look like for us? It looks like forgiveness. When others hurt you, love and forgive. When someone wrongs you, love and forgive. When you feel that justice needs to be served, love and forgive. Praying that we might love as God loves. Now knowing this extent of love and how God lavishes it upon us, what can we do with it? This brings us to our very last question, what is love's result? In answering this final question, we'll be looking at the central verse of this chapter in Core 52 on love. And it's probably one of the most well-known Bible passages of all time. It's John 3.16. And you've probably seen it written on athletes' football cleats or written in someone's uh, social media profile. But the widespread knowledge of this verse or the frequency of its use should not devalue the words. And so though we may have read it or heard it taught many times, Let's try to read this as if it's our first time, acknowledging the power of the words. John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The statement in verse 16 uh, concisely expresses three truths. The universal character of God's love, its sacrificial nature, and its eternal purpose. This one verse, this one sentence, is the core of Christianity. It is the gospel in a verse. And it explains the end result of God's love for us. It begins with, for God so loved the world. The word for here could also be read as because, or as the message translation says in more plain terms, this is how much God loved the world. Because God loves us so much, Jesus came down to sinful earth from his throne in perfect paradise. Bearing all the pitfalls of being fully human, as Hebrews uh, 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. And he came and lived this life of being fully God and fully man, and he was made the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That through believing in him and devoting our lives to him, he may become our advocate as we come before the throne of God in all of our wickedness and making us pure to dwell with him in eternity. 
My friends, this is love's result. The gospel that changes lives, repairs hearts, and provides a living hope. What does this look like for us? Inviting everyone into this family, into this hope and understanding of infinite love. Knowing the result of God's love for us, we can love others by explaining to them this love in the form of the truth of the gospel. One of the many wisdoms that I've received from my time staying with the Busters is that sometimes the best way to share the gospel is through how you live your life. God's example of love in Jesus empowers us to live lives of love towards our neighbors, towards our family, even towards our enemies. And in doing this, people are drawn to ask questions, to see what is so different about the way we treat people and about how we conduct ourselves, which then allows us to share with them the gospel message. Maybe this looks like having hard conversations with your family members or coworkers or friends, approaching them with love and truth as Jesus did, and explaining to them the abundant love and grace and hope that the gospel provides. I know that defining love is a hard thing to do. There are many more facets to this conversation that I have not touched on, but I believe that I've provided the maintenance of what this love truly means, this agape love of God that we are called to replicate. Love's method of sacrifice, the love that calls us to deny ourselves and become servants, the infinite extent of God's love for us that leads us to a place where we love and forgive, and love's result of the gospel and our call to share that love with the world. And by acknowledging the truth about God's love for us, we can live out Mark 12, 29 through 31. The most important command is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, for being such a good, good father, for loving us abundantly. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would be inspired by you to live lives of love. By the perfect example of Jesus, we would live lives of an agape love. Lord, I thank you for being such a good father. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.